What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Right now in fast stock surge into the weekend, the S&P snapping a three-week losing streak. This is the 10-year drops back below 4%. With the Fed expected to keep hiking rates, can the market still ride higher from here? We'll debate that. Plus, China rising. This weekend, Beijing set to unveil its target for how strong economic growth is going to be this year. And President Xi expected to announce the biggest reshuffling of his parliament in over a decade. Will all of this help or hurt the investing climate in China? In later, a call of the day, a digital dynamo that's jumped over 9% since Monday and north of 50% this year. Can it keep reeling in the gains? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site. On the desk tonight, Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Julie Beal. We start off with a solid rally to end the week on Wall Street. The Nasdaq leading the gains, rising nearly 2%. The tech-heavy index posting its highest close in two weeks. The S&P also rising over a percent, closing back above its 50-day moving average. Every sector within it, up today. The Dow, meantime, added more than 380 points, climbing back into positive territory for the year. The moves coming after yields on 10-year treasuries fell back below the key 4% level. The two-year also retreating after hitting highs not seen since 2007 yesterday. Major averages all positive for the week. The S&P and Dow both snapping multi-week losing streaks. And take a look at some of the stocks leading the way. First Solar up a whopping 30% since Monday. Salesforce logging its best week since August 2020 in the back of earnings. Steel Dynamics reaching an all-time high. So today's broad strength suggests the year's rally is back on. Let's play this game for a moment. Okay. We love games. What's the game, though? I mean, rewind to the beginning of the day. If I had told you what everything was, you know, the things that were going to happen, ISM was going to come out, would you have guessed that we would have ended the day like this? It makes me a Monday morning quarterback. I can totally call this one perfectly. I know it's going to, no. I, I would I, say no. I, I, mean, I, I would have said the ISM numbers <laughs> and, and the general strength overall, we were, I, I think we'd made a move on treasuries and the, the, the move higher in rates, a little dollar relief. I just think equities are a little bit oversold here. I think we're trading in a range. So I kind of felt like after yesterday's overcoming higher rates, equity markets very resilient in the face of what has been a rising rate environment. Yeah. I kind of felt like today was a day to actually pile on. Right. I mean, we didn't, though, even touched the highs that we saw in the fall in the 10-year yield. So we sort of went above 4%. It wasn't a level that we had not seen before, but we did digest that pretty well still. Surprisingly well, yeah. right, I think. I, I w- if you had told me at the beginning of the day, I mean, the data, I guess, was uh, slightly cooler, tiny bit. I don't know. I don't even know exactly how to read it. But I'm surprised at this reaction because yesterday we had the opposite. We had the market was up even though we saw rates move the other way. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't know what to make of it. I keep thinking that we're going to see more of the Fed governors and, uh, you know, voters say, you know, hawkish, hawkish, hawkish. And yet the market doesn't seem to care. I think they look past that and say, all right, so maybe we won't start pivoting later this year, but we will, we will early next year and the economy seems to be hanging in OK. So that's good enough. I'm kind of surprised. I mean, also, I guess maybe you can point to the, the, the dollar weakness. Maybe there's a little, I mean, there's the flip side but uh, of the same thing, but maybe that's a little Look, better dollar for earnings. Dollar has not been equity's friend. Uh, the, the, the right, the strength of the dollar, of, right. Yes, exactly. Right. And, I, and I actually think you've got some tailwinds coming on the dollar. Yeah. Uh, next week, though, we, we got a big week next week, Julie. Powell, jobs, 
there are plenty of reasons why you wouldn't want to be long going into next week. I mean, I, I think when I think of this market right now, all I can think is everyone is interpreting the data the way that they want to, right, for the narrative that they have. Anyone who's talking about a soft landing sees, you know, the solid unemployment, the solid employment is a positive thing and the bears the opposite. So you can really write whatever story you want. What I think is important to note is right now, 37 percent of the S&P is expecting, you know, negative earnings growth in this year. That doesn't really pretend super well. So I don't think I would be super bold up on cyclicals right now in front of next week's earnings. Yeah. Grasso, what, what was your take? Yeah, so I think, you know, Karen said said it appropriate. It's it was slightly cooler the number. So if you look at prices paid, I think you could come out with something that was bullish for the for the market to actually have a day and rally. And to Tim's point, the market was oversold. We dipped below that 200-day moving average. That made me, and I'm sure a lot of other people, very nervous. But we rallied above it. So that's, that gives a little more credence to the bull case scenario. But there's really, I don't, I don't know if there's a bull case scenario as much as a trading range. And I had said that we'll probably play around with the same 150 to 200 handles in the S&P. Well, we've played around with about 270 handles in the S&P. So the fact that we broke that bottom level of the 200-day moving average could possibly mean that we break that 4,200 level to the upside. So I, I wouldn't paint myself as extremely bullish, but I think the market is looking through a lot of damage uh, on the economic side. Mm -hmm. And we do have a market that is not going to look that great right now, but when it gets through this, it sees six to eight months through it. So maybe it's more positive on the other side of the tunnel, and that's the way I'm reading it. What did the strength in um, big cap tech, Apple, Meta, semis, NVIDIA was up. NVIDIA, you're short. My short. Two and a half well, percent well again, to me, I, a short that doesn't really concern me after a 113% move. Not that this stock hasn't. It, NVIDIA is the stock that when you have a trend in technology, everybody wants to own it. It was AI. It was crypto. It was gaming. Um, but as I talk about big cap tech, triple Qs were down almost actually a little bit over 8% from that February 2 high. So if we think about the moves that these markets have had, um, I, and we're going to talk to Carter a little bit about places that are really outperforming even technology. I don't don't want to follow yesterday's trade. And I think you're going back into mega cap tech. You're doing that. Um, but I, I, I would just get back to this week felt like the week where uh, bulls and bears could line up on both sides and say, hey, you know, bulls are going to say the economy's not that bad. I don't see hard landing anytime soon. And while, you know, I, I, I get the fact that equities may not be cheap here. Um, if we've not, if we're not having a recession, the stock market had its move. Uh, if it's a recession down move in the equity markets, Julian Emanuel says it's a 42, 43% move. If it's a non-recessionary, it's a 27% move lower, which we had and got us back to October. Yeah. Uh, Julie, you think that um, we cannot rely on yesterday's leadership at this point? You yeah, like some of these to, names, though. Some of these are value names, like, a, like an alphabet. Yeah, I mean, I think some of these names still hold value, and I, I think it's important to think about the, the drivers of the business and if they're sustainable. So, you know, I would rather be positioned in something like a Google than I would, 
you know, something like a Netflix, because I still think that you want to think about the end user and the level of market control that these businesses have. So I think it's important to kind of focus on what's happening in these businesses, how they're going to be impacted by a softer economy, hard landing or not. You know, we, I don't think anyone can argue that we're going to have a stronger consumer in 2023 than we did in 2021, for example. Yeah, Karen. I agree with Julie. I mean, obviously, I have a big position in Google. Actually, my meta position is bigger now, having sold some Google and meta having risen. But both of those, I still think, are really attractive. I understand their, you know, yesterday's story. But I think in a market like this, that uh, those valuations are really attractive to me. And that, I don't know, gives me some comfort. Yeah. I don't want to be in the big high flyers. Um, you know, I was talking to Art Cash on this morning on Squawk on the Street and, and, you know, ahead of Powell next week and all the Fed talk that we've had recently, he was saying that if 50 basis points was more of a, a probability on the table, if it became more of a probability, the markets would perceive that as a mistake by the Fed and there'd be a severe adverse reaction to that, to the notion that 50 is more likely. Grasso, do you... Do you see that? Because right now, it, you know, the markets are content with 25, 25, 25, you know, and so on till the end, till the pause. Um, but a 50 might be conceding that something went awry. Uh, or it's just off that huge jobs number where they want to get ahead of something. But I think 25 will be absorbed uh, with the market. And to, to that point, maybe the market is adjusted for that 50 basis point hike. I don't think that's what they should do. I think that when we when the market took a definite different stance where every time we would hear from Chairman Powell, the market would sell off. Now we're in that gap where he doesn't speak, the market sells off. When he does speak, the market rallies. So I think the market is, is hoping for a 25 basis point uh, hike, but they're ready for a 50 I think it's going to be 25 uh, for longer periods of time. All right. Meantime, let's get to industrials powering higher this year. The XLI, a 5.5% since January. Some notable outperformers. Steel Dynamics, as mentioned. WW Granger <laughs> hitting all-time highs today. Plus GE hitting a level not seen in almost two years. But what's next for this group? The Charmasters join the table. Carter Braxton Worth, what do you see? Well, there's a lot of bifurcation in the group. Consider, for instance, S&P 500 Machinery Index, which picks it's at an all-time high today, versus the industrials that are transport-related. You still have to move almost 20% to get to the high. So there's a lot of winners and losers. But there is this, and there's sort of no way around it. If you go back to the beginning of uh, sector data, when S&P changed the sectors in 1989, industrials, and you see it on the screen here, have been an identical performer to the S&P. And so one can say, okay, so what? Well, look at the next chart. This is a ratio chart. It's the same all-data chart. So if you have a sector that is performed exactly in line with the S&P, but you've had a lot more beta, you'll have, on a risk-adjusted basis, a poor performer. And so at this point, um, there are stocks that have shot the moon, Boeing, GE. And I think those are stocks that, if you're in, you should take profits or sell short. Yeah. Karen, you're wondering. I mean, you have some industrial positions, and you were... I do. You were asking Carter. Yeah, before the show. It's like, Carter, <laughs> you or I, what do you think? Corner would you rather? Yeah. yeah. Would, you you rather? would you rather buy it or not buy it? Yes, something like that. Yes. And I, I said, come on, Carter, don't you have any of the to the penny, to the penny, to the penny? I think thoughts? I just said I like it. Yes, you did say well, you like it. Sometimes less is more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I like it. I mean, I, I, it's my only, only hesitation with it. It has run so far. Mm-hmm. 
It deserves it. They've had an outstanding quarter. This is an under-promise, over-deliver type of management team. But I, I've never heard them more confident. And with the infrastructure bill, I mean, for a long time out, they've got a lot of business to do. So I'm sticking with it, even though it is... Uh, it, I hate how much it's run. That's that's a bad dilemma to be in. Yeah. <laughs> Walk me through the sort of the fundamental case, because if you are a believer that that things are going to go pear shaped later on this year, that there's going to be some sort of a recession that companies will be pulling, et cetera, et cetera. Then why would you want to be why would you want to be in cyclicals? Why would you want to be in but industrials? Uh, per- in I'm particular? not sure you would, but I'll, I'll, I'll just take where Carter was mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll layer on my fundamental view. A, a lot of those companies in that industrial space are the kind of companies that are increasing, increasing free cash flow. Um, they're not expensive companies. And, and I realize it depends on what you're comparing them to. <clears throat> but, but again, a company like, like Boeing is, is getting back to being that cash flow generative company that it was uh, really back in 2018, 2017, when it was, you know, 200 and, uh, excuse me, a $400 stock. Um, I look at industrial that have outperformed the S&P by 11% or so since that October low. I look at transports that are now, that, that's the part of this, because industrials, I don't know, you tell me, Carter, I mean, we're, we're either about to break out, you know, we're, right. we're, we're near one-year highs, and we're back to those levels, and we're about to break out. And I almost feel, and this is where you need to tell, the momentum coming from the transports right behind them, um, which well, were slower to the point. That's right. Well, in terms of the, the industrials overall, we know from their low, that sector is up 25%. Things like G are triple that. And they have influenced, to some extent, you get autocorrelation, the performance of the sector overall. At this point, the real question you're posing, and I don't think I know the answer, do you double back and find laggards, i.e. transport type names, railroads, and play those for catch up, or do you stay with something that's quite firm, strong URI? My hunch is to, to barbell it. So, for instance, I would take some of the laggards, but the ones that are too extreme, and I would put Boeing and G in that category, not URI, I would fade those. What about like a um, uh, UPS, FedEx? Is that in that Yeah, well, they're, okay. I mean, they're, they're their own creatures. They are in the Dow Jones Transportation mm-hmm. Index of 20 stocks, which is mm-hmm. price-weighted, of course. Um, but they're sort of their own creatures, right? They're not sort of classic industrial. Hypercyclical. Yes, hypercyclical. Um, neither from my seat is particularly interesting. It comes to the mind. Pair of twos. <laughs> Thank goodness I looked that up earlier. Dreaded pair of twos. <laughs> <laughs> so you use that, Carter. Um, we'll see you in just a few minutes on Options Action. Thank you. Um, Sue Grasso, do you like these industrial names? So uh, I think you nailed it. If you believe that the recession is coming, then you have to either think that we are going to get out of it unscathed uh, to be a buyer of industrials. But to Karen's point, that money that's coming through from the infrastructure bill, it's coming through in a big way. There's going to be a long pipeline of cash being handed out. Caterpillar is, is probably the best one or the, or the most likely recipient for a long extended period of time with a backlog of work. So I think you can think there's going to be a recession and still be bullish on some industrials. All right, coming up from the metaverse to AI, one Wall Street firm thinks Meta's new new focus gives it an edge. But do the traders agree? We're going to go that way to Meta in just a few. But first, China stocks in rally mode this week. But with President Xi set to lay out his economic plans this weekend, can those gains continue? Stick around for that trade next and later. Don't miss the CNBC special taking stock with Eamon Javers. That's right here on CNBC Top of the Hour. Meantime, more Fast Money in two. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. 
with a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. China stocks in rally mode as investors await the National People's Congress in Beijing, which kicks off on Sunday. Investors focus on China's estimates for growth this year. Economists expecting GDP forecast to top 5 percent, while those for inflation could come in at roughly 3 percent. President Xi also expected to make his biggest government reshuffle in a decade, consolidating the CCP's grip on power. So how could this year's Congress impact the investment outlook for China? Tim, we go to you, of course. I, I think we can soften up some of the, the, the geopolitics right now. And I, and I think seemingly coming out of a Congress, um, she will have cemented more power. This should take him uh, off the war path, if I may oversimplify right. this. I think if you want to also oversimplify EM investing, it's all about the dollar. Uh, the dollar's rallied 4%. That's coincided with a pullback of about uh, you know, 6 or 7% in the EEM or whatever you're tracking. Um, I actually think that the dollar is probably in the short term, based upon both Fed dynamics and some of the data we've had, has, has had a peak. I think the dollar is going to go lower. It doesn't have to go a lot lower for EM to start to rally again. I also think people are underestimating just how powerful the China effect is on the rest of the world. It's an $18 trillion economy. It's not just EM. Uh, the U.S. is a $23, $24 trillion economy. China is not that much smaller. And we're talking about a place where, yeah, a lot of that stimulus is already out there. But the second half of 23, to me, is more about where China is. And look at Las Vegas Sands, all, you know, getting back to, you know, essentially two-year highs. Some of the plays that are really China-specific um, are ways. And I look at the resource stocks. I look at steel companies. I look at copper. Um, these are all telling me that I think you should not underestimate China. Right. And then also to, to take a look at the delegate list. I mean, in the past, uh, they've, they've showcased a lot of the Internet stars, the Internet entrepreneurs, yep. Jack Ma, the Netties founder, uh, etc. But this year, they're switching to hardware. So they're going to chips. They're going to, you know, the, the companies that make stuff. And that really highlights where China's head is at when thinking about where to stand technologically, particularly when it comes to this war with the U.S. When it comes to we own AI here in this country, we will use our own systems. We have our own technology and we will be our own force, particularly when the U.S. is putting up barriers to us. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know from a PR standpoint, which do they want to put it? Do they want it? We're, we're very pro-business or we're not. I don't know what what plays better to the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right to, to I mean, they have to sort of address what we're doing, I would think. Um, but I, I've been surprised a couple of times with some of the actions that so I, I'm not invested. I'm just sort of nervous about something coming out of left field. So. If everyone feels like I do, then it's great to be invested in China, right? (laughs) Julie, are you in China or an EM? No, I mean, I I agree with Tim. So much of being able to get EM right is about being able to get currency right. And that goes way over my little bitty brain. Um, I think there's plenty of opportunities in the U.S. 
more so than needing to go into China, where, you know, the market dynamics are so complex and you have this invisible hand that's actually not so invisible of government. Um, for me, that makes it hard to feel good about investing over a five year horizon. There is also the Taiwan element to all of this. And this the backdrop is that the U.S. just approved a six hundred nineteen million dollar purchase of new weapons um, by Taiwan, including missiles. Uh, Grasso. So there's that tension, which could lead to other rep repercussions for American business. Every time you see Chinese uh, related stocks rally 10 percent, they sell off 20 percent. So the reopening is juxtaposed to whatever geopolitical volatility that we're going to see. And now they have a no limits partnership or, or uh, alliance with Russia. That doesn't bode well for national security or the way the world is setting up. So I, I think you have to be very careful about investing in China. And really quickly, when you when you put up that screen, five to six percent growth with three percent inflation. If there was ever a time to question the economic data coming out of China, it's probably going to be now. But I, I do think that when they do reopen, it's going to be. Uh, disinflationary versus inflationary. And I think that's the key that most people are missing with, uh, with growth. All right. Up next, Meta on the move. The social stock popping this week. We'll bring you the details behind the move higher next. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Meta jumping over 6% today after Barclays named the stock as one of their top picks to benefit from the AI boom. Analysts saying the growth in artificial intelligence could result in $10 billion in additional ad revenue to it. Um, Karen, you like, you obviously like that. Yes, I do. I mean, they're in a nice spot right now after being in a terrible spot for a yeah. couple of years, right? They were the poster child for everything bad and then uh, the huge spend on the metaverse. And then now Google's a little bit the poster child for, you know, the, the AI introduction fiasco and whatnot. But now that they're in Meta's in the year of efficiency, which is incredibly well received, you add on the year of efficiency with AI, you know, this kind of market loves that sort of thing, but it's not expensive. And then there is there is the possibility and it is starting to be priced in, I have to admit, of a TikTok ban. Right. We don't know. How, uh, that would be tremendous for Meta in the short term. But there's enough rhetoric around it that it wouldn't be so shocking. And I do think that the, there is some priced in for that. I don't know how much, though. I, I, like. I think a lot of this move in Meta, the first part of the rally was related to cost cutting and, and some sense that they could gently get back in off the metaverse. Uh, and, and I think if you look at the momentum over the last couple of days, the Barclays note that was out today talked about where a, a lot of the platforms, social media platforms, get the benefit of what seems like this content creation boom that was a big part of what streaming was in the early 2010s to 15s. And that's part of the story here. I think if you look at the chart on, on Meta, uh, there's a lot of good things to talk about, including the fact that uh, it looked like it was going to fill in that gap. Uh, in fact, it's holding this and it's holding uh, the, the bottom end. It did even through that sell off and now has rallied back from that uptrend all the way down from the low 80s. I think you stay there. All right. It's time for the final trade on this Friday. Let's go around the horn. Steve Grasso. The J of my just trade, JP Morgan. I know it's a cyclical, but I'm long it. I'm staying long. Julie Beal. Uh, I like Cooper. It's a eye care company. They reported great results. Um, it's just a solid player. Karen. 
Yes, I'm kind of right there with Steve. I mean, Bank of America doesn't have Jamie Dimon, but I got to say, Brian Moynihan's doing a good job. Bank of America. Tim. Boeing cash flow machine in the future. Industrials keep moving. All right, that does it for us here on Fast Money for the week. Don't go anywhere, though. Options action is up next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.